ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is Tuesday, August 29th, four days away from East Carolina and Michigan. We're getting started a little earlier today if you're watching our live stream. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. The IBX uh, media app will be live, I believe, at 12 noon. We'll be on radio at 12 noon as well for the replay. We're getting started early because we've got the Mike Houston press conference at 11.30 to preview Michigan. Uh, really excited for today's show because we got Joe Sampson back in studio for his third appearance on Hoist the Colors. Joe, welcome back. Happy to not be fired again. So, yeah. always a good day for the boys. The rumor is you, you'll be making two appearances on HTC this week. So, Ooh. You, you got a lot to, I guess you're moving up the ladder yeah, quickly. Yeah, I got a lot to live up to quickly. Yeah, well, uh, we're, we're glad to have you back. We also got Philip Pilkington producing. He is going to be part of our roundtable discussion here. I'll explain shortly. Philip, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. Happy uh, happy game week, everybody. Happy game happy week. Game week indeed. We still got to get you a camera, but I can I can see like I can barely see you through a bunch of monitors, so I can I can try and read your face. The audience will have to just imagine the beautiful uh, Philip Pilkington, the ref uh, face. Baby. Yeah, the ref. I, see, I never call him the ref. I just call him Philip. Do you like the ref? Do you like that name? I didn't hate it when I was an intern, but now that I'm not officiating anymore, it's kind of it's kind of an old name. It's like it needs to be retired. I need a new nickname. All right. So we're retiring the ref. We're keeping Joey football. It's the Joey Football Tuesday. All right. So what we're going to do here, and by the way, we're going to have a, uh, a look at Michigan here shortly as well. Uh, Alejandro Zaniga. Uh, we're going to have him on the show to preview Michigan. He covers Michigan for the Michigan Insider, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. We'll have him on probably in about... 10 minutes or so. Uh, but what we're going to do today is a roundtable discussion on several ECU football topics. Obviously, game week, we're going to have uh, some picks later on as far as leading rusher, you know, who's going to make the most starts at quarterback this, this season, uh, you know, receptions leader, receiving yards leader. Will ECU return a punt for a touchdown for the first time in 20 years? Every, every year I predict it. Every year it does not happen. We'll have that discussion uh, we're also going to make our full game-by-game game picks if you guys are uh, are willing to do so. I, I tell you what, let's jump right in. Let's do it. All, All right, right, let's do it. Y'all ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right, let's do it. All right, well, uh, let's not waste any time. We'll see how much we can get through. We're going to talk to Alejandro at around 945. So we'll go through each game. And again, look, I mean, it's – who knows? Like, I'm looking at some of these games. I made my picks online. Like trying to project ECU Navy and ECU FAU in November right now is next to impossible. But <laughs> yeah, we're on sports radio. Why not do it? So let's go game by game. The people want to know if you're on YouTube, Facebook, you want to chime in, let us know. We'll read your comments as well. All right. The big house this weekend, fellas, 12 noon at Michigan. ECU is a 35 and a half point underdog. I feel good as we get closer to kickoff about ECU covering this line and we'll make our picks against the spread on Friday's show. But, uh, Got to go with a loss here. I think we would all lose our credibility if we predicted an East Carolina blowout victory or even an ECU victory. But uh, nothing would surprise me. Season opener. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I give ECU a shot. They just got to go in and have a special performance. So I'm going to 0-1 to start with. We'll go to Gio next. I'm going to go 0-1 also, unfortunately, to the boys in the locker room. Use this motivation, pin it up on the lockers. I get what you have to do. But I see it. It's it's too much of an insurmountable task to kind of go in and expect ECU off of what they've done now in the offseason. And, and Mason Garcia has only started one game under center. It just gets difficult to win without great quarterback play. And that's where it starts. And it starts up front against the dominant Michigan defense and a dominant Michigan O-line that we saw in the national title uh, semifinals. So, for me, I also have to go lost, but I give it close, 35-28 kind of thing. I think it comes down to the last minute without their offensive coordinator in Harbaugh. All right, Philip, you're uh, you going to pick an upset here? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. As much as I'd love to see it, and I think if you're going to do it, you know, this is the week to catch them off guard, week one, first week without Harbaugh. But, uh, like I said, we'd lose a little credibility, I think, if yeah. we went out there and predicted it. Not saying it's impossible, but uh, I'm definitely going to go Wolverines in this one. I do think the Pirates hang around, keep it uh, respectful for at least the first half and uh, maybe midway through the third quarter. And I think Michigan kind of pulls away late. It might be one of those where it's kind of a snooze fest for the last five to seven minutes. But I think as long as we can keep it close for you know a solid amount of time, I feel good about it. Charles Langston on Facebook says, Michigan will win by 28 only because Harbaugh is suspended. So I'm guessing he's saying that Michigan will win by more. If uh, I guess so, but that if, that covers ECU covers. That's yeah, what that, he's saying that is a that's a clean cover for East Carolina if that happens. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, we'll see what happens this Saturday. If ECU wins, will the Pirates be ranked next week? Is the real question. When we do the show on Monday, Ooh. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Pirates debut at number 23 in the polls. If yeah, they pull off a victory. I Probably heard that if right. we win, Stanford Steve said that game day was gonna be here next week. Is did, did he really say that? I have not heard that. If so, we, we were talking before we went on the air. It'd be awesome if they came for the Marshall game yeah. because of everything that rivalry mm-hmm. uh, signifies. When App State beat Texas A&M last year on the road, then they came to App State for for game day against Troy. So uh, the following week, so there's more motivation to win, win, and maybe you get game day next week. But who knows? All right, let's go to game two, Marshall, September 9th, 4 o'clock. What a great kickoff time for the fans. Uh, mid-afternoon game, ESPNU. This, you know, I did an article earlier this year, three swing games on ECU's schedule. I think this is the most important game in the non-conference for ECU. You can't start 0-3. This is a home game, your, your only home game in the first three. I'm going win here. ECU Marshall always play phenomenal games. I think the Pirates find a way to win at home. In a uh, in another tight game, I think Marshall's really good, but I like ECU at home. Joe, I agree. I think East Carolina at home is always a different animal, and I think coming off the momentum from last year in the Marshall game, and that really was just kind of a, a swing point for the season. The guys are going to do the same thing, especially if they bounce back after a loss in the Big House. I, I like ECU here against Marshall. I think that Wells leaving was a huge blow for Marshall after the last time we played them. And I think that it'll be a big-time win if East Carolina can do it. Philip, we got EC at one-on-one. Are you going with the Pirates or Herd? I'm going to go with the Pirates. And I think this game is going to be determined on how well the Pirates play against Michigan. I think if they go on there and get blown out, they're going to show back up their tail tucks between their legs and not play well against Marshall and lose. But because I'm predicting them to play well, to keep it close for two and a half, three quarters, uh, I think they come in with confidence. They build on that confidence, and they and they beat the Thundering Herd. So we all have the Pirates sitting at one and one after two games. This is where it gets tricky for me. Like as I, I was going through my picks, this is the game I went back and forth on a lot. Appalachian State, September sixteenth, on the road. 
They'll be fired up, 3.30 kickoff in Boone, North Carolina. First time ECU's traveling to Boone as a program since 1979. Justice Bradburn on YouTube says, App State is a must-win. Cannot lose to them twice. App is uh, is a good team. They're good at home. I've talked to some people in the industry that feel like they're trending downward as a program uh, the last few years. And this is a, a toss-up game for me. I feel like if this was in Greenville, I'd pick ECU. I, part of me wants to say this is a game Mike Houston has circled because I think he, he did not like the way it unfolded in 2021. I think ECU will play at a different level. But I'm going App State. I, I don't love that I pick App State here, but I, I just think at home they win a tight one, and uh, I think ECU will get revenge in a couple years in Greenville. But I'm going App State. Pirates fall to 1-2. and two. Joe, thoughts? I love the Pirates to death, and it's difficult to say, especially after being part of that 2021 loss, but I do give the edge to App State. They're just extremely good at home. Their crowd does a great job at kind of disrupting what uh, opponent offenses want to do as far as in Boone and everything. And I think the weight of that game is going to be a lot for the Pirates, especially if you come off a huge game in the big house and it's a, a tight one at Mar- er, versus Marshall, not at Marshall, and you're at App State. It just becomes a difficult game to try and win, especially if you get down early on the road. Philip, we got ECU one and two. Are you are you are we keeping up the trend of picking the same? Yeah, I have to agree. I think it's close. Now, however, if backtracking a little bit, if the Pirates do come in zero and two, I think they have no confidence, and I think they get slaughtered. But because I'm picking them to come in one and two, I'm predicting them to come in and, and come off that win against Marshall. I feel good about it. Now, if App goes out there and gets slaughtered by Carolina week two, mm. I could see them coming in, you know, a little banged up, a little roughed up, and then you know the Pirates jumping on. But I think App uh, plays Carolina tough the way they did it a year ago, and I think they come in with a lot of confidence. Kid Brewer's a tough place to win, so I'm going to agree with you guys and, and have the Pirates at one and two. So Pirates at one and two after three non-conference games right now. Appalachian State and Gardner Webb play game one this coming weekend and that'll be worth keeping an eye on because the pirates play those teams back to back gardner webb will be the painted gold game on september 23rd we've heard some rumors of new gold uniforms slash helmets we'll see if that comes to fruition on september 23rd uh gardner webb by the way guys sneaky good team in 19 mm-hmm. they were terrible they are a much different program now under trey lamb they should have beaten Liberty last year, they should have beaten Coastal Carolina, and we know those are two solid programs. So this is a game ECU cannot sleep on, but I'm going to win. I think they get to two and two, wrap up non-conference on a high note. We'll go to Joe. I agree the same way. I mean, you can't sleep on Gardner-Webb. They've built a great program through the transfer portal now, and them kind of trying to find their footing with their new head coach has really started to come to fruition. We saw the close game last year against Liberty, as you mentioned, and we know how the beach chickens uh, like to play games. So I think it's a good measuring stick to watch them against App State this weekend coming up, and I still give the Pirates the edge. Philip, uh, Gardner-Webb, yeah, I'm going with the win. I think, like you said, it'll be tougher than it was a year ago, but or a couple years ago. But, yeah, you can't lose that game. If you lose that game, you're probably winning one or two games all year. Yeah, yeah. that's a must-win uh, if there is one. Uh, McLean Anderson, by the way, says App State has bigger questions at quarterback than we do. I would say yes to a degree, um, but – you know, everybody that has a quarterback question has a major question until they go out and prove it. You know, right. it's one of those things that's just an unknown. And I would say at being at home is kind of the, you know, realistically they'll probably be favored unless they just get off to a terrible start. Um, and, and so I think it'll be a tight game either way, not to go all the way back to that game, but it's just one of those. It's going to be a, a tough test. Uh, two and two, if you find a way to 
if you find a way to go three and one with this non-conference, you're set up for a special year. I think two and two is is solid and puts you in line for a, a solid year as well. Maybe even a special year, depending on how conference play. And we should say this is going to be a team that should get better throughout the year, right? You know, and you're, you're starting with a very difficult schedule, which I think plays a role here. All right, let's get through a few more games before we get a first break. Uh, conference play begins September 30th at Rice. I've never been to Rice. I've watched East Carolina at Rice on television, and it is a miserable atmosphere. There's yeah, I've like heard four, terrible things. There's 14 people in the stands. <laughs> there's, I mean, it's just it's awful. Uh, Houston uh, is bad enough. The Houston Cougars they have no fans uh, for the most part. Rice has zero fans. Uh, they have actually five fans. My bad to, my apologies to those five fans. Um, so this is going to be a sleepy atmosphere. I feel like Mike Houston's teams have played pretty good in sleepy atmospheres when y'all have gone on the road. Like even Boca last year, mm-hmm. there was nobody there and y'all went in and dominated. So I think Rice is another sneaky, better team than their record from last year. They're, they've had a tenured coach. But I'm going to win. I think this is a win for ECU on the road in a, in a closer uh, game. But they start conference play 1-0. Joe? I agree. I think the part we're forgetting also with Rice is they added JT Daniels this offseason in the portal and he was a great quarterback at West Virginia and even Georgia before the whole yeah. Stetson Bennett thing unfolded. So Rice is not going to be this team that's just going to roll over and assume Big Bad ECU who won the Birmingham Bowl last year is just going to walk in with a W. And we've talked about the sleepy atmospheres. It can be a lot as an opponent to try and overcome. you got to create your own energy. You're on your own sideline. I mean, if there's five fans, those five fans are going to heckle you hard now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, <laughs> um, they won't let you forget it. To ECU. it. ECU moves to three and two. Philip. Yeah, I'm going to agree. And I do have one question for you guys. Speaking of JT Daniels, has he been in college longer than Stetson Bennett? Because I, I feel like he has been. All I know is Stetson Bennett doesn't have a degree. JT Daniels has like three. Yeah, that's fair. Stetson Bennett was in college forever. Yeah, he was. He was teammates with Sony Michelle, who mm-hmm. went on, went to the NFL, won two Super Bowls. Played for four different teams and retired. And now retired, yes. Before Stetson Bennett got to the NFL. That is correct. Yeah, JT Daniels has to have been in college longer. And that experience helps him, but not enough to beat the Pirates. Yeah, right. he's bounced around so much. And I give him credit for keep trying. I think he has talent, but health has been an issue. And also, Rice lost one of their best receivers to the portal this mm-hmm. summer. Um, and, you know, they got some good players. I, you know, I think they'll be able to score, but I think ECU wins. All right, last game before we get our break SMU Thursday night football. Painted black game, you know. I, I'm not buying into the hype of SMU. I, I'm done with with you know. I know they have money. I know they can buy players, but when you're when you're traveling across the country to Greenville, North Carolina, and you're taking on ECU in the night of the Boneyard, uh, what in the world? Just speaking of blackout, it hurt us. It's like Beetlejuice. I'm guessing we're off the air. We're on. We're on. All the, uh, YouTube or Facebook still streaming. Uh, YouTube looks like it's still streaming. Yep, we're good. Keep going. Never a dull day. All right. Well, wow. We were talking about a uh, a blackout with. <laughs> we were talking about a blackout with the SMU game, and the lights went out at the studio. And I guess we are back. So we're just going to keep trudging along. Um, SMU night of the boneyard. As I was saying, ECU. You don't just roll into Daddy Ficklin on national TV and win. And I think SMU's got the weakest schedule in the conference. I think this game is going to bite them. Pirates win. And I, I'm going to say a statement win. I'm going to say a double-digit win over SMU. Maybe I'm too bullish here. 
No, I agree completely. Last time the Ponies uh, came into Greenville, didn't end well for them. We obviously saw how that turned out at the end of the uh, 2021 season, I think it was. And that was a absolute yeah, that was a slaughter. slaughter fest is the best way to put it. Uh, and you saw how UCF tried to come in last year and think that it was going to be sweet on the Boneyard night. And we saw how John Reese Plumley kind of threw more interceptions than he had home runs. But, uh, you know, I still give it to ECU on that Thursday night, and I, I take the Pirates. Uh, Philip, uh, last pick here, then we'll go to break. Sorry, we got a camera down, though. Sorry about that. You're going black. Um, no worries. I, I'm going to go uh, – I'm going on the other side. I don't know, man. I really like Rhett Lashley and the job he's done there. Uh, that was the one game I attended in 2020 when we went in there and blew them out, or you guys went in there and blew them out, Joe. And it was a, a great way to end the COVID season. However, uh, I don't know. There's bad gut feeling about this one. I think SMU's dangerous. Boo. Yeah. Philip is on the ponies. All right, so we got ECU at 4-2. and two. Uh, Philip has him at 3-3. Three and three. Justice adds SMU plays awful in Greenville, and uh, for the most part recently, I agree. Uh, Maddie Ice, by the way, says Pirates going 13-0 and and will play Tennessee in the college football playoff for all the marbles. So, I mean, if that happens, then uh, we will all be on cloud nine. Yeah, I'd love to be proved wrong. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, Josh Heupel revenge game for the Pirates as well. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's get a break in. We got to call Alejandro Zuniga from the Michigan Insider. We'll have we'll have our we'll have a break in the action from our schedule picks. We'll come back. We will uh, make some more picks later. Make some roundtable discussion uh, picks later as well. But let's talk Michigan on the other side. Hoist the colors. Ninety four three. The game. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back to the show. Tuesday, August 29th edition of Hoist the Colors. We're going a little early today with the live stream because we got Mike Houston's press conference at 1130. Let's head out to the live line. We're going to talk Michigan now with Alejandro Zuniga, who covers Michigan for the MichiganInsider.com. Alejandro, game week's finally here, and you've had plenty to, to write about with all this uh, suspension, coaches being suspended, self-imposed suspension. So what, what do you make of this this uh, this week for the Michigan Wolverines? Steven, it has, it has not been a quiet offseason. It is never a quiet offseason on the Michigan beat, but this one has seemed more consequential than many. And uh, we've, yeah, like you said, it's, it's game week finally. Uh, but it does feel like there's a bit less talk about the opponent here in Ann Arbor and more about everything that's going on within the Michigan football program. As you mentioned, uh, Jim Harbaugh will not be on the sidelines on Saturday as the first game of that three-game self-imposed suspension. Neither will the offensive coordinator, Sharon Moore. Uh, the offensive coordinator will be someone who was promoted from analyst last year, and he just had a baby. So just there's a lot going on. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean- and you know Michigan's big favorites in this game. That's no secret. But is there any concern about just those be those things being a distraction, or does it help that Michigan has a veteran team? You know, what is kind of the the talk amongst the fan base and the players as far as kind of canceling the noise, so to speak, going into Saturday? I think I think there is a, a bit of concern about distraction, right? I mean, you don't remove your head coach and your offensive coordinator who has led the best offensive line in the country for two straight years and not have a little bit of squeamishness. Uh, on the other hand, Michigan is a very veteran team, 
right? Michigan not only did it does it return most of its production from both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, uh, but they were pretty busy in the transfer portal uh, throughout the offseason, and a number of the guys they brought in were captains at their former schools. So Michigan, Michigan has six captains this year, which is too many captains in my opinion, uh, but six captains and then a bunch of guys who would deserve to be captains, I would say, and share that leadership. So, so I don't think it's, it's too much of overlooking an opponent. You know, it's, it's been a long off season of practicing against your own defense or practicing against your own offense. And now you get a chance to go out there and play someone who's wearing a different color uh, and, and impose your will on them, just as you've been trying to impose your will on your own teammates in practice. So I think there's a lot of excitement. I don't think it's, hey, we're going to overlook East Carolina. Uh, but I do think it's fair to say, you know, there's just a lot going on and a lot of moving pieces, and it's not just focused on the football game. It's let's figure out who's going to be calling plays on Saturday because there's two coaches who won't be on the sidelines. Alejandro Zaniga is with us from the Michigan Insider. We're previewing ECU and Michigan Saturday, 12 noon on Peacock. Uh, Alejandro, when you look at this, this offense, so much is made about the running game and the offensive line. You know, maybe J.J. McCarthy doesn't get the credit he deserves. Just, you know, if, if ECU is able to slow down the run on Saturday, which they, they had a good run defense last year, I think it's a question whether they can do it again against this offensive line. You know, how confident is Michigan that, that J.J. McCarthy is, is good enough to drop back and throw the ball, you know, 30 times a game, 35 times a game and win it? Whether, he not, whether or not he needs to do it this Saturday remains to be seen. But going forward, kind of taking that next step for McCarthy. Yeah, I think that's the big question, and it was a big question last year, right? And it turned out that when it came to those big situations, when Michigan needed to air the ball out a bit more, uh, you know, J.J. hit the deep ball against Ohio State. J.J. dropped back and passed a lot more in the Big Ten Championship game against Purdue, Uh, and then he certainly did in, in the college football playoff against TCU. I mean, anyone who watched that college football playoff knows that, you know, J.J. had his most productive game uh, from a throwing perspective, but he also threw two pick sixes. Uh, I, I think one thing that has Michigan fans more confident and has the program more confident going into the season is that J.J., number one, he's entering the season as the absolute starter, right? Last year, he entered the season as the backup quarterback. Last year, he also entered the season coming off a shoulder injury that sidelined him for all of last offseason. So not only is J.J. entering his third year now in the program as a starter, he's had a full, healthy offseason to build up that rapport with his teammates. So, so I think there is more confidence. That there's confidence that J.J. can drop back and pass the ball. You know, he was a five-star quarterback for a reason. He has all the arm talent in the world. He is one of those leaders who, you know, I honestly, I, I was surprised he wasn't voted a captain. Uh, he wasn't eligible for it, as it turned out. Uh, they limited it to just seniors this year, but he's the sort of guy who would be a captain, I think, in most other years or most other programs. Uh, and just a, a great off-the-field, on-the-field leader and a great arm talent. Uh, so, so I do think Michigan fans are confident in that it's possible that he can throw the ball 30 times and be successful. It just hasn't happened very often, uh, both because he hasn't needed to, but also, as you mentioned, Michigan's offense is happy to rely on its excellent ground game. 
Alejandro, if I may ask a question, to the uninitiated who aren't as familiar with Michigan's roster as the four of us who are talking currently, uh, who are the two big X factors to look for that weren't necessarily big pieces last year during that semifinal run? Sure. Um, It's a good question. Uh, Looking on the defensive side of the ball, uh, if we're starting defense, uh, I I just want to throw out linebacker depth. Uh, Linebacker depth last year was was pretty rough, especially by the end of last season. Uh, So Michigan returned both of its starting linebackers in Junior Colston and Mike Barrett. Uh, They also added a talented freshman, uh, rising sophomore, uh, who transferred in from Nebraska and Ernest Hausman. So so I think that's where Michigan will be grow the most, at least on the defensive side of the ball. On the offensive side, it, it's almost, I think Michigan fans are probably sick of hearing this name, uh, but outside of Michigan circles, Colston Loveland is a tight end from Gooding, Idaho, tiny town with 3,000 people. Uh, he only, you know, he only had a couple dozen catches last year, but by the end of the year, I think everyone who watched Michigan knew that this guy was going to be a breakout player. Uh, this guy is a mismatched nightmare. He is, you know, six foot seven. He's huge. He can run routes like a wide receiver. He's improving as an inline blocker. I think there's very little question that Colston Loveland at tight end is going to be a guy. He's going to be starting number one. Michigan likes to, in, you know, include its tight ends in the offense, uh, and he's a guy that you're going to hear his name called a lot this Saturday and throughout the season. Alejandro, you look at this Michigan team and you, know, you talk to people in college football, maybe the most talented team in terms of pro talent overall, even ahead of those teams from the SEC. It feels like it's national championship or bust. And, you know, obviously there's pressure that comes with that. But after two playoff appearances in a row, is that a, a fair assessment? Is anything short of a national championship for this team a disappointment? I wouldn't say disappointment necessarily, uh, but I do think you're right that. You know, winning a national championship is is both about talent and it's also about, you know, it's about lining things up the right way, right? And and this seems like the year where Michigan has everything lined up the right way. You know, when you look at the Big Ten, there aren't many returning quarterbacks. And J.J. McCarthy is one of, you know, probably the top two in the Big Ten returning quarterbacks along Talia Tungabailoa. You look across, the entire, like the entire team, as you said, there is so much returning talent and there are so few question marks that it feels like, listen, for the past two years, you know, three years ago, Michigan was two and four. There were questions about whether Jim Harbaugh was even the right person for this job. So the last two seasons for Michigan fans have sort of felt like a fever dream of like, holy crap, like they beat Ohio State two years in a row. They reached the college football playoff two years in a row. But yeah, now it feels like, okay, we have reached a new level as a program, University of Michigan has. It feels like all the pieces are there to, to not just reach the college football playoffs, but to win that semifinal, which Michigan has not done, and to go toe-to-toe with Georgia. I mean, Michigan in fall camp has a beat Georgia drill that they do every single practice. And, you know, the, the reason it's not hard to discern, they know that Georgia has been the best team in college football the last two years. And they want to be at that level. And they believe that this year is the year that they will be. We've talked to ECU coaches throughout this week in the preseason. They, If they found a weakness for Michigan, they have not admitted it. Uh, as somebody who covers the team, do you feel like there's a, a potential weakness East Carolina can take advantage of? Or is this just a team that's pretty loaded and experienced at every position? Yeah, 
every team has weaknesses, right? Even Georgia. Well, maybe not Georgia. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I say that as you're looking at, especially game one, uh, the Michigan State has some question marks. Uh, you know, last year gr- graduated or or lost to the transfer portal, a few key contributors from that secondary. Um, there was DJ Turner, who, you know, 427 speed at the NFL Combine, Jamon Green, RJ Moten, and others. And part of that secondary has been banged up through fall camp. So another five-star on that defense, uh, Will Johnson, uh, who was a rising sophomore. He was a freshman All-American last year. He's been banged up throughout the summer through fall camp. You know, Rod Moore and Macari Page, the two starting safeties, have been banged up a bit through fall camp. So the second cornerback spot has been in open competition really since the spring. Um, they flipped the guy from offense to defense in Amorian Walker. He's been banged up through fall camp. They brought in a transfer from UMass and Josh Wallace. You know, there's positive rumblings about him. But it'll be his first game in a Michigan uniform, and he's making that step up from UMass to Michigan, uh, which is not insignificant. So, so I'd say that if you're looking at a question mark uh, on the Michigan football team, it's really that secondary, uh, specifically the corner spots, uh, since they're they have an open spot at that second corner position, and because the first corner uh, is coming off his own his own injuries, that that's an area where ECU could certainly attack. Last thing for you, Alejandro, for ECU fans listening that are making the trip to Ann Arbor, any tips or you know things you can give them as far as just game day experience, places to visit? Is it just kind of one of those things you have to see to, to experience firsthand? And I, I know a lot of Power fans are going, so uh, just any, any tips for those listening as far as this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, if you're coming to Ann Arbor, uh, welcome. I, I think Michigan fans, for the most part, are pretty uh, open and accommodating to you know to other fan bases, particularly particularly those who are not from East Lansing or Columbus. Um, I would say that if you are coming and you want to tailgate, uh, the University of Michigan Golf Course is a fantastic place to tailgate. Uh, it's you know it's a big party. It's a golf course, so there's lots of green spaces to throw a football around. You know, play cornhole or what have you. Uh, if you are Looking for a meal, uh, you will not go wrong with Frida Bakitos, uh, which is downtown Ann Arbor. It is Cuban-inspired insti- Cuban burgers, fries, uh, shakes. You can get them with alcohol in them. It, they're fantastic. Uh, it, it's hard to go wrong, really. Um, one of my favorite things to have done as a student, and even now when, you know, when I'm employed and covering the team, is just walking down in front of the intramural sports building. It's down Hoover Avenue. It is, A, it's a beautiful building. It's the uh, the oldest intramural, intramural sports building in the United States. Uh, but B, that's where you just get the influx of people coming from downtown Ann Arbor, coming from campus, making the walk over to the big house. And you just, you feel like you're in a sea of people. And it's a really special experience. But uh, for all those coming, enjoy the big house got new scoreboard new sound system uh new lights that should look sound feel amazing uh there's no cell service or wi-fi in the stadium so expect to not be able to contact anyone on the outside uh but hopefully the game itself will be uh worth your while 
He is Alejandro Zuniga. Alejandro, check him out, themichiganinsider.com. We appreciate the time and looking forward to seeing seeing you in Ann Arbor, Alejandro. Appreciate it, man. Yep, thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Alejandro Zuniga from themichiganinsider.com. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll finish up our game-by-game predictions and also dive into the rest of our roundtable discussion. This is Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game. Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. We are back discussing college playoff, college football playoff scenarios. We had a comment, Stephen Igo, Joe Sampson here from Justice. He says, to Maddie's point, this year is arguably ECU's best chance at a college football playoff appearance, considering schedule strength paired with a weekend AAC. Uh, to a degree, if you're if we're talking about this format, Justice, yeah, the four team format, but next year is when it goes to twelve. That would be probably yeah. the best way to make it. But if you're gonna make it as a four team playoff as a AAC team, you need a win like Michigan. So uh you would at least put yourself in that position if you can knock off Michigan on the road and run the table, maybe you are you do get considered, but mm-hmm. it's just so hard to make it as a you know, non-traditional power, so to speak. Yeah, especially when you're only playing one true ranked opponent right now with Michigan. I mean, if right. App State would have been a late game in the year and they were 23 and SMU found a way to be 21 on that Thursday night game, you'd have that kind of resume where you could argue it. We saw what Cincinnati was able to do a couple of years ago with their situations and their kind of schedule that they built when they lost to Arkansas. Two years ago, it kind of threw them out. But then when they won those close games, it really started to build it back up. So it gets especially difficult difficult because now all of the conference realignments yeah so who's to say a win in the american is the same weight as it was now that the teams have left for the big 12 absolutely so it's a much different landscape now but uh 12 teams next year will be fun uh chase braswell says on facebook uh ton of respect for michigan love hardball but one play at a time we can do this just like App State in 2007, there's a major upset every year. No reason this year it can't be ECU's year. And, yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. Chase also has wouldn't Tulane help. I mean, they toppled USC. Tulane is ranked as of right now at this 24. So, again, we're getting into these crazy scenarios. But if ECU beats Michigan and Tulane runs the table, that would be maybe your late season game that right. that allows you to, to get into that mix further. Um but, hey, let's start by beating Michigan, and then we'll really have those conversations uh, going forward. Let's get back into our schedule prediction. Uh, we still got to do that in our roundtable. The good news is Joe is going to be back for Friday's show, so if we need to carry over some of this discussion into Friday as we run a little short on time here, we can do that. Um, but we'll try and run through as much as we can on this show. All right, so to update you, if you're just joining us now, we're doing our game-by-game schedule predictions for the ECU football season. Joe and I, we made it through the first half, the first six games. Joe and I have ECU at four and two. We picked the same games. Losses to Michigan, to App State, wins over Marshall, Gardner-Webb, Rice, and SMU. Phillip has ECU at three and three. He picked ECU. Uh, he picked the same as us, but he picked the Pirates to lose to SMU. So, Phillip has him at three and three. We got him at four and two. The next game up is Charlotte on October 21st. The Fighting Biff Pogies come to town uh, on uh, Saturday, October 21st. I'm going big win here. Uh, Biff is going to be uh, walking back uh, to the locker room sad in his uh, cut-off sleeve shirt. Joe? <laughs> Huge win for the Pirates. This is the Mike Houston revenge game. That's Charlotte right. did try to steal 
Mike Houston uh, way back when, before the Biff Pogi era, as we're now going to call it. So uh, I expect ECU to dominate both in the trenches and in the passing game and just kind of put the hurt down on the 49ers and the Biff Pogies. Uh, Philip, are you are you going with Big Biff Pogi here? I don't know if Biff Pogi's going to have a job <laughs> seven weeks into the season at this the rate he's going. This guy's an idiot. I mean, yeah, I know. I think he still has a job there at that point, but I, I think he's on the hot seat by that time. I think we beat him by 30, and uh, I think he's fired within two weeks after that game because they're going to realize he's an idiot and they should have never hired him. I'm going to give it to you early. <coughs> Hammer the over. Hammer, Hammer the, the over. over the but over. not just us covering. You're saying the over in total? Hammer the over in total. Are I we think covering we the over in total by ourselves? I think so. Because I don't think they're going to score a lot. I don't think so Their either. offense has never been – they've had one offensive weapon ever there, and it was Austin Duke the right. first four years. Yeah, I, I think we score that many points, Philip. Biff Pogey is probably listening to this, and he's going to send out a tweet about how dumb we are. Um, they do open with South Carolina State. That should be a win. And they've added some talent because of Pogey's ties, but you can't add like 50 transfers and expect it to all come together. I do think Biff Pogey is either going to be the worst coach in the league or like the best coach in the league. No in-between. Biff Pogey is an uphill battle too because they play Maryland week yep. two, and then they play Florida week four. Yeah, that's going to so get ugly. Even if they are 2 and 2 going into the conference season, they're going to get whomped yeah. in the swamp. And it's just a completely different ball game going SEC there. And to be the program they are now and expect these transfers to play against the SEC is just a complete misjudgment of where you are as a program. And I know the athletic director probably scheduled this game years in advance, so Charlotte fans are going to hate me, but I think Bifogi is set to fail. Are there Charlotte fans, football fans? I'm sure there's five. If there's uh, Rice fans, there's got to be Charlotte there, fans. There are more. Someone who's been to a handful of Charlotte games, just because being from there, uh, there are more fans there than there are at, there are at Rice games. See? Right. But it's about the same as what Tulane was last year. But okay. it looks better because they only seat 10,000, whereas Tulane right. seats 30. So it looks decent, but yeah, it's about the same number as Tulane fans. There's like 14 people at that Tulane yeah, game last year. All yeah. 15 people. And they uh, were good. Then, eh, Charlotte might have 17 fans. 17? Okay. All right, so let's go to a team that does have fans because every time we talk about them on this show, we get random UTSA fans in the comments section, and that's never happened for any other team in the American. So UTSA has a fan base. They've had success. I'm excited about this game, October 28th, East Carolina at UTSA, San Antonio, Texas. Um, I'm going loss here. I think UTSA, really good home field advantage, experienced team. I expect them to be an American title contender. I think it'll be, again, a good game. I don't think this ECU team is going to get blown out very much this year, if at all. Um, but I'm going UTSA. Pirates fall to, I believe, 5-3 and three on my list, uh, Joe. I have to go the same way. UTSA has a high-powered offense. They lost their offense coordinator this last year to Colorado, who went with Coach Prime. But it's still the same offensive weapons, and I'm sure the coaching staff is just kind of picking up the baton as opposed to trying to change it. Uh, the Alamo Dome is an incredibly hard place to play. We've heard that for years, and UTSA has been a program that is up and coming. They were ranked last year, so I give it to the Roadrunners, but not by much. Back-to-back Conference USA champions are UTSA. Uh, Philip, who are you going with here? You know, we kind of talked earlier about that college football playoff route and could we play a team ranked late in the season. I think UTSA will be ranked coming into this game. Mm -hmm. I think the Pirates keep it close, but Frank Harris does a phenomenal job with that offense. As much as I do trust Blake Harrell to come up with some exotic stuff and uh, and have something for him, I think it's a barn burner. I think it's high scoring, and I'm going to take the uh, – the uh, Roadrunners by a touchdown. Probably it's probably gonna be like a 38-31 kind of game if I had to guess this early out or this far out. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they called Holden Aylers old. Frank Harrison is seventh year 
at DTSA, I believe. So uh, that's makes, like Bo Corrales old. Yeah, it makes Hold Nailers look like a you know a toddler in college football <laughs> terms. Um, all right, so we got him at I got him at five and three. Joe has him at five and three. Philip at four and four, I believe. Yep, that's correct. All right, Tulane possible revenge game here for East Carolina. Tulane coming to Greenville uh, did not play well last year at New Orleans, and at the time we did not realize how good Tulane was. I remember standing on that field talking to some of the staff and the players and they were like man we just don't know what happened like Tulane just mm-hmm. played really good and it turned out Tulane was really good um this is another one I went back and forth on I'm going lost I think with Michael Pratt back at quarterback to me the top two teams in the league on paper are Tulane and UTSA I just not, not sure ECU's there quite yet with this roster wouldn't shock me at all if they win this game, but I'm going Tulane. Pirates fall to five and four for me, uh, Joe. This is a coin toss, so you got to ask me in six more weeks what I yeah. think of this game because it's so hard to predict from now. Because if Michael Pratt plays the way he did last year and the way he was able to do what he did in the Cotton Bowl against USC, which is a perennial Power Five program, it's a completely different ball game. But the last time Tulane came to East Carolina was with the hurricane and with all that to it. So we wonder: Does Tulane have the same bad taste in their mouth and has that kind of motive? Motivation that ECU is going to have and I see it if it is going to be that way it'll be a close one probably by a touchdown I'm sure Phillip's going to think the same way but I do give the edge to the green wave there it hurts to say but don't be surprised if six weeks from now we're like okay East Carolina is going to come back in and they're going to shock them all right so we got ECU falling to Tulane five and four Phillip are you going to have the Pirates falling under 500 here? Unfortunately, I am. You know, I think that this Green Wave team was 2-10 and 10 back in 2021, and we went in that game last year thinking they were much of that same team. But we found out Michael Pratt had was playing with a bum shoulder mm-hmm. that whole time. I really enjoyed the job that Willie Fritz has done with this program. He really turned them around. They were really good in 2020 during the COVID year. Like I said, unfortunately, they struggled in 21. But I think if Pratt's shoulder is moderately healthy, they're a six-win team. If it's really healthy, they're still a 9 or a 10 win team and that's what they were a year ago uh they proved that they you know can hang with the big dogs by beating usc i think it's close i think the pirates could definitely win this game but this far out just not knowing what the pirates have and i do know what the green wave has and his name's michael pratt and mm-hmm. they've got a lot of weapons around him that should be coming back uh fat watts and uh i can't think of the other receivers off the top of my head i don't have the roster in front of me uh i gotta give the edge of the green wave here we are 10 11 weeks out yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We're predicting games in November. I right. feel like we have a good feel for what Tulane will be. ECU is such a wild card. Even as somebody who covers ECU, somebody who played for ECU the past four years, somebody else who covers ECU, like, I can honestly sit here and say I have no clue what's going to happen in this game. But we're predicting it, and that's what makes it fun. <laughs> um, so you might as well have some fun. Uh, November 11th at FAU. Everybody's on the FAU bandwagon this year. Tom Herman coming back to the American, you know, unless uh, Greg Ward, that was the quarterback for Houston, right? Greg Ward shows up, whatever. Uh, the, I think so. Yeah. yeah, he shows up through that door that led him to that Fiesta Bowl win over Florida State. God, the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I'm going, uh, I'm not buying the FAU hype. I'm going Pirates win in Boca for the second straight year, get to six and four. Um, I think FAU will be a bowl caliber team, but mm-hmm. I'm going uh, Pirates. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want to give Tom Herman any kind of motivation here, but there's two types of coaches. There's contenders and pretenders. And we saw what Tom Herman did at a program like Texas and how the wheels just fell off. And it's got to be the same thing in Boca. I mean, the lack of 
talent that they can really kind of have as far as that program goes. I give the edge to the Pirates, and that's just because like they're not there yet. Now, in two years from now, Tom Herman could build this juggernaut out of the portal. He could recruit people to come play in Florida and ball at the beach, and that's something. But right now, I don't give it to him. Tom Herman seemed like he had had like 18 energy drinks before taking the stage at uh, AC <laughs> Media Day. He was, he was on one. He's always amped up. Um, Philip, what you got here? Yeah, I think FAU is going to be a solid program, but I know we got to go quick here. I don't, yeah. I don't think they're going to be enough for the Pirates. Uh, I think this one, the Pirates probably win it by ten. You know, they're up three, score a late touchdown, put them away. I think the Owls are a good team, but, but not at the level of ECU. All right, two more regular season games. Uh, Navy, Navy's Navy, man. I, I cannot predict ECU to beat Navy until I see it consistently. I'm going Navy. Even I get they look bad in Week One. They always look bad in Week One. I'm going loss here. Uh, Pirates fall to six and five. Uh, Joe. Feel the same way. Navy, senior night at Annapolis. It's a hard game to win, one we haven't won many times in the last few years. I mean, Owen Daffer at the walk-off kick, and that was really the only chance we had. So, I got to give it to the midshipmen, unfortunately, on their senior night. Philip, All of ECU's all-time program wins have come in Annapolis, and they do it again in 2023. Mm. I like the Pirates. Nice swerve. There we go. Uh, so, now that puts us all at 6-5 and five going into the regular season finale. Tulsa. On November 24th or 25th, I think this is a bloodbath. Pirates win by 30, go to a bowl game. <laughs> Mason Garcia throws six touchdown passes, and, uh, and Pirates finish the regular season 7-5. Joe? All right, I second it. Um, uh, the only thing we have to try and do account for here is if senior day becomes a distraction. Obviously, we saw yeah, what true. happened with Houston. Uh, but I think if it is a close, tough loss against Navy, like we're predicting, they come out and they beat the dog mess out of Tulsa. Pirates by ninety. Pirates by ninety. Philip, I think they learned from last year's senior day mistakes. Pirates seven and five. Seven and five is the regular season finale. When we come back, we're going to talk about what bowl game ECU will be playing, and we'll predict that. I got the bowl tie-ins. I just pulled them up. We're going to table our other roundtable discussion for later this week, along with our game picks, because uh, we're running short on time. Let's get our final break in. Hoist the colors. Ninety-four three. The game. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Got a couple minutes left. Uh, Chase Braswell on YouTube with a great point. He says the X factor and variable is our O-line and Mason Garcia. For the whole season, we have talent at the skilled positions. I believe in them regardless, but we have a great running back room. Yeah, we were making the, the picks um, – and so, yeah, a lot of unknowns, but always fun to do. We'll have a roundtable discussion now for Friday's show. We'll also make game picks as well. All right, let's predict the bowl that ECU is going to go to. I had the bowl tie-ins here for the American Fenway Bowl, Armed Forces Bowl, Hawaii Bowl, Military Bowl, and a bunch of other secondary bowls, Myrtle Beach, Birmingham Bowl, Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, I'm going to predict the Pirates at 7-5 go to the Fenway Bowl and take on the Virginia Cavaliers. Oh, that's that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good tie-in. Joe, uh, does hear yours? I'm torn. It yeah. depends on how weak or strong the American is. It's seven and five. We could wind up in the New Mexico Bowl and that's go true, play yeah. Wyoming, or we could go Gasparilla Bowl and play. I think it's ACC tie-in again. Yeah. So we could go play like a Wake Forest that has a down year if Dave Clawson doesn't find a way to replace Sam Hartman. So uh, I'm either Gasparilla Bowl or New Mexico Bowl. Nothing. Nothing beats spinning. Uh, Holiday season in New Mexico. Nothing says um, Christmas like Albuquerque. That is true. Philip, wrap uh, us up. Do we still have a uh, the tie into the Annapolis get bowl in Annapolis? Yeah, oh, military yeah. bowl. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
I think the military bowl is upset they didn't get the Pirates, and they put in an early bid to get us again. I'm going to go the uh, military bowl against Wake. Yeah, Fenway and, game. Fenway and military make a lot of sense. Military yeah. versus NC State would be a lot of fun. Ooh. Or North Carolina. Now so, we're talking. Or uh, Carolina. Yep, absolutely. Or Duke. Duke doesn't want to play ECU, so bring them on in the postseason. Bring Although them. I guess they went there last year. So who knows? Hopefully we're having that discussion. All right, we got to get out of here. This has been fun. Hoist the colors, 94 3 of the game. Tomorrow we'll have Cliff Godwin in the studio, the head baseball coach. So looking forward to that. We'll talk to you Wednesday, 12 noon. Stay tuned for the Mike Houston press conference later today at 94 3 of the game. Hoist the colors.